Um, So this reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 20. Um, If you'd like to get the verse up. Okay. Um, So it says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Uh, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. you. I just want to say that we haven't planned for the the platform to look so young this morning. (laughs) I just realized that that everyone up here is so young. It's really cool. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for serving us in the worship team. Thank you for the tech team as well, Alaska, for your word earlier, and Jess as well. Uh, I want to start with a a question today. which is, what's the best meal you've ever had? What is the best meal you've ever had and why? Okay, have a think about that for a few seconds. The reason I ask that question is because um, we're going to talk about communion. Now, COVID has probably meant communion has felt a bit strange, hasn't it? For many of us, <laughs> in our little plasticky... Have you all got them this morning? If you're at home, you're probably thinking, what are they talking about? We've got these little plastic cup things that kind of come with a bit of paper on top. <laughs> basically, and the paper is the bread, and it's all that sort of stuff, and I'm not really sure what's actually in the, in the juice itself, but we are thankful for those that do prepare it, so that's not what I'm saying, uh, and we will return to proper communion um, pretty soon, I hope, um, but it's felt a little bit like perhaps communion has been pushed to one side, and so today I just wanted to focus on about a 45-minute talk on, <laughs> no, be about a 10, 15-minute talk, don't panic, on communion and the significance of supper, is that Okay. You had time to think about the question, yeah? So hopefully your brain's starting to think, oh, there was that time I had this meal there and this meal there, and it was really nice, that kind of thing as well. And um, so for me, for some people, I've asked this question over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's been, you know, the lovely restaurant above the beach that looks out over the water. For others, it's just, I don't know, a pizza, right? That's it. Uh, For others, it's the... Roast dinner on a Sunday afternoon, that's the best meal that you can have. But as I started to ask people why this was the best meal, it was more became, became more about the other elements of it. So it's more about the ambience, or the ambiance. It's French, isn't it? Ambiance, yeah? Thank you very much. Learned that in my French lessons. So the ambiance, yeah? The dim lights, the fairy lights, whatever you've got, the kind of candles on the table. Then you've got, or the location for some of you. It could be more about where it is. That's more about, that's why it makes the meal so special. You're thinking right now, aren't you, those special meals that you've had? 
for others of you, it might be the people. Just, it doesn't matter what you have. You can have chicken nuggets and chips. It doesn't bother you, right? As long as you're with that person, that dog, the cat, your neighbor, your friends, your partner, whatever it might be, it doesn't bother you at all. It's just the, the people that are around you. And I was thinking about it. Forgive me, put that down there for a moment. I was thinking about it, and um, for me, it became about the significance of the meal, why, we take, why I have the meal. And so I've not been paid to say this, and my wife's not even here this morning, so um, that's good. <laughs> but actually, for me, the most enjoyable meal is our anniversary meal, okay? It is, believe it or not. You're thinking, no, it's not. It is. Uh, on or around our anniversary every year, which is the 19th of January, so I'm just going to say that on record in case Abby watches this back at any point. Uh, we have a meal together. <laughs> We have a meal together, and it's a great time to commemorate our wedding. It's a great time to commemorate that. And I won't lie, sometimes those meals that we have for our anniversary are really easy, really easy, and we've had a good year, and we've had a good run that year, and there's some real highlights to talk, to talk about. And other times, it's been really difficult. We've had like a blazing row in the car getting to the restaurant, that kind of thing. But come rain or shine, we have always had an anniversary meal, and it's really significant for us, because not just because it commemorates our wedding day, but also because often what we do at that meal is we begin to look back and we begin to remember some of the stuff that perhaps we got up to when we were younger, the first times we went on dates together, you know, when I used to have hair as well, that sort of stuff, right? When we could leave the house and we wanted to, and now we've got two kids that take six hours to get out of the house, those kind of things. We look back and we celebrate that element of the relationship. We also just enjoy being with each other as well in our anniversary meal, just sort of chilling out together. You know what life can get, it can get quite busy sometimes. And uh, we like to have a laugh together and just be in each other's presence. We usually can't, we're, we're people watchers. Anyone else people watchers? Yeah, you kind of make up little stories about what other people are doing in the restaurant, don't you? I wonder what's happening there. That's a bit strange, use that one, that kind of stuff. We do that, we enjoy each other's company, being in each other's presence. And the last thing we do is that we get excited about our future, what the kids going to do when they're older, um, you know, what, what holiday might we go on, are we going to get a dog, no, we're not getting a dog, that's on record as well, we're not getting a dog, okay, I don't want a dog, don't boo, this is not a theatre, okay, <laughs> no booing, okay, I'm not going to get a dog. Um, our anniversary meal is significant because it gives us a chance to really stop and to remember, to be present and to look forward. And that's what I want us to kind of get excited about around communion this morning, okay? Is that all right? To do those three things. I often hear people say, well, it was just a meal. That's all it was, it was just a meal. It wasn't just a meal. Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't just a meal. It was the supper in the upper room. It had a real significance. There's lots of symbolism in it. And I want to share my enthusiasm for history, if that's okay, because you know that I like history. And just teach a little bit. And I hope that just inspires you to love Jesus even more. Because for me, those are the best sermons. The ones that just inspire you to love Jesus more. If you can live for Jesus more because you love him more, you can do even more things in his name, right? So that's what I think. Anyway, so Jesus was clearly, clearly excited about spending time with his friends. Because first and foremost, they were his friends, right? They weren't just his disciples. That's what we know them as. Obviously, he called them his disciples. But they were his friends. He was really, really eager he made preparations through verses 7 to 13 for the location, where they were going to have it, the food as well. He was desperate to have this meal with them. So you could sense this kind of air of expectation in the room, couldn't you? You could kind of almost taste it. He was so keen to, to share this with them, this Passover meal. 
Because that's what they were celebrating. Communion is where we, where we get communion from, is from that, the Passover meal, that Jewish tradition. And then he's kind of explaining a few things to his disciples, to his friends, and something new was beginning to happen. They could kind of feel it, you could sense it. You saw it in the, the passage that um, Jess just read to us as well. And the first thing was remembrance. Verses 8, 11, 13, and 15 said it earlier that this was him commemorating the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So typically what would happen as they did this, the custom was that they would retell the Passover story. If you don't know the Passover story, check out Exodus 12 in your Bibles. So it's when God's people were saved from Egypt, right? Yeah. And so the host of the house, the host of the person that was leading the dinner that time, the Passover dinner, would retell the story of the Passover. So it's like just kind of remembering, recapturing the bigger, grander story so Jesus is retelling this story to his friends, but he adds a plot twist because it's Jesus and he always does that. And as he's doing that, he's reminding them of, of God's people that were saved because of the blood of the lamb that was, that was painted on the doorframe. You know this in Exodus? Yeah. That the angel of death would pass over them. They wouldn't receive judgment, but that God would pull them out of that slavery into wilderness and onto the promised land. So Jesus is going through that with his, with his friends, with his disciples. He's reconnecting them to the grander narrative of salvation. And then he begins to align himself to the symbols that are on the table. And this, for me, gets me really excited. So sorry if you think I'm geeking out, but I am. Okay, so the head of the household at this point would, would, break, would break the bread. Break, break the bread. Would break the bread, the Passover bread, okay? The unleavened bread. So the significance of the unleavened bread, if you put, some of you might know this already, was that basically when the people and the Israelites had to get out of Egypt, they had to leave in such a rush that the bread didn't have time to rise. Some of you might know that. Yeah, you might know that, might not. So they had to get out of Egypt quick. Okay, so that's why they celebrate with unleavened bread. It's a reminder that God had to get them out of their circumstances really quickly and that he was trusted that he could do that. But also, yeast is a symbol in their tradition of sin. You might not know this. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul says, don't you realize that sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Okay, so Jesus has got this bread. He's reminding his friends of the salvation that, is, that, that, that historically they received from their people in the Passover, which starts to stir up some stuff in their heads. And then he's basically aligning himself when he says, my body is broken for you, not only to the bread, but also that he's sinless. It's powerful, isn't it? Because there's no sin. There's no yeast in this bread. And they would have known that. They knew what they were eating. And they had known what yeast would have meant. So he's actually saying, my body, which will be broken for you, which would have blown their mind anyway, Right, is sinless. I'm the perfect saviour. I'm excited. That's exciting, isn't it? It's great symbolism. And it was just—it was just a meal. It wasn't just a meal. It was such a powerful thing. Usually, what they would have said is, "This is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness." That's usually what they would say. But he says, verse 19, "This is my body given for you." So you get this sense of excitement in the room. He's linking. He's remembering. He's helping them to remember that they were saved once by God, but the Messiah they were looking for is this person right in front of them. But he get on to say that my body would have to be broken, which for them, was, they were thinking, what's this about? And he keeps piling on the significance of the supper. So he takes the cup in verse 20. This cup, not this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So cups are really significant in this, in this meal, if you don't know. So they usually, they, traditionally, they, they would drink four cups of wine. Right? Some of you are thinking, that sounds good. I'll be done after two, but four, right? So these four cups of wine are basically um, 
a, a, a nod to the, in Exodus 6. I'm just going to go through this with you because this stuff is exciting. So Exodus 6, 6 to 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So what would happen is that they would have a glass of wine or a cup of wine for each promise from that part of, the, of Scripture. Okay, you with me? Yeah, so one of the cups was sanctification, they would call it. Another cup was plagues, another cup was redemption, and another cup was praise. And they'd keep filling this, these cups up each time to remember that their Lord, their God, saved them. So Jesus has stood there in front of them, holding this cup, which, by the way, is the third cup, because it was after supper. If you read the passages after supper, the third cup is the cup of redemption, right? Which is amazing, isn't it? So they're going, their mind is all over the place. What's, this is bonkers, what's going on? Okay, he's got the cup of redemption in his hand. So they would have known the significance of that. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. If you read Jeremiah 31, 32, when they came out of Egypt, they broke that covenant. So from that time to this time, we see Jesus in scripture, they would have been waiting for this new covenant. So you've got, they were, you've got this Jesus, Messiah, <laughs> who's got this cup in his hand, saying, I'm going to be the redemption. I'm going to be the new covenant. My blood, thank you. That's amazing, isn't it? It's just a meal, <laughs> right? There's so much significance in it. I hope that you fall more in love with Jesus after this because he was able to tie this all together. Anyway, get excited. Communion teaches us, yes, to look back, just as Jesus was helping his friends to look back. It's so important that we recognize that when we drink later and we break the bread, we are drinking from the cup of redemption, right? We're only saved because of what Jesus did on the cross, we once were walking in wilderness like the Israelites did in our sin. And we were saved by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, his blood to be poured out. His blood is the agreement, the covenant that we can have be back in relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's really beautiful. That's a key part of remembering what communion is about. But also there is a sense of the here and now as well. We're so good at remembering at communion and it is absolutely right. Jesus told us to remember. We have to remember. But I really believe as well there's a, a presence about communion that sometimes we can really miss out on. So I said to you earlier, me and Abby, when we sit together on our meal, we often just listen to each other, which is a chance to sit down and, and hear each other and to reconnect and to recalibrate and all that sort of stuff. And really communion is a chance for us to do that. I say this now, but I really would like us as a church to press into times of communion more often as we go forward, collectively, as one family, um, we can talk about that. But it's such an opportunity, you know. I think we live our lives, our Christian lives, in such an individualistic way. But Jesus says, you know, we are his people. To do this together, to do communion together as his people, is such a powerful thing. So, we know Matthew 28. Christ is present with us wherever we go. Matthew 18, two or three gathered in my name, there I will be. When we're here this morning taking communion, we can be confident that Christ is here in the room. Not just what he's done, which is beautiful, and we remember that, but he is here in the room. And that should really, really excite us. Many of you know uh, Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. Have you seen it? Have we got a picture of it? Can you pop it up? Have we got a picture of it? <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's exactly what they look like as well. <laughs> it's amazing, they had cameras back then. 
So, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in that picture, isn't there? Anyway, so there's like a COVID version. Please don't, this, I'm not trying to be reverent here. There's a COVID version of this that I saw last year, which is coming on now, hopefully, this one, right? So, I know, right? But as I was, someone sent this to me, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, that's really powerful, that image. Such a powerful image. You know, we pull up a chair at communion, don't we? Just as the disciples did. Communion is an opportunity to pull up a chair and sit in his presence and sit with Jesus. To be more Mary than Martha. We can rush around so much. Life can be so busy, but communion isn't just something, a kind of traditional old thing that we do, but it's a real opportunity to actually stop and be in the presence of our King. Just to sit with him, to listen to him as well. To listen to him is such a key thing, especially right now for us as a church, to listen to him and what he has to say. When Abs and I sit down to our meal, it also reminds us who we are. It reminds us about our relationship. It reminds us about our identity. Sitting with Jesus, pulling up a chair, is an opportunity to sit, not just in his presence, but for us to be reminded that we are ransomed, we're healed, we're forgiven, we are a new creation, we're God's children, we're adopted, we're sons and daughters. Allow him at communion in a minute just to remind you of that, as his power, as you read in Corinthians, rests upon you. Last thing, and then we will take communion. (laughs) It's a chance to anticipate, to anticipate. Again, when Abby and I hang out, we talk lots about what we want to do in the future. We talk about what we want to do, things that we need to do, things that we won't do, which is usually DIY for me. (laughs) But we have a chance to think about the future together. What's it going to look like? There was this future anticipation around this meal. Okay, They used to, I don't know if you know this, but they used to lay an extra... uh, extra, um, What's the place? The place, that's it. That's the word. An extra place at the table for Elijah. You might not know this. They had this kind of sense. Elijah was a foreshadow of who Jesus was, by the way. So they lay this extra place at the table as they celebrated because they were desperate for the Messiah. And there was a common how belief that in this Passover meal that the Messiah would come back at Passover as well. So mind-blown again. <laughs> Jesus holding a cup of redemption, talking about his body being broken, at Passover as well, they would have gone, oh, you are the Messiah, right? How exciting is that? Do we get that excited about the second coming, right? So we're this side of it now. Do we get that excited about the second coming? Do we have that sense of anticipation when we take the wine, we drink the wine and we, we eat the bread? Do we get excited about the second coming? It's not really talked about. It's actually really talked about at the moment, by the way. Um, Happy to chat about that afterwards, not right now. <laughs> okay, but it's really talked about at the moment. 1,500 verses in the Old Testament talk about the second coming. One in 25 verses in the New Testament talk about the second coming. It's key. It's really key. This is a chance to remember, to be present, and to look forward. That one day he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet of the wedding celebration of the Lamb. Right? If you're in Christ, that's you. Yeah? We're the bride of Christ. He's the groom. This is his church. 
we get to be invited to this wedding banquet where we'll get to do this again. It says, doesn't it? Jesus says it, not eating the Passover again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And in verse 18 says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus himself in scripture is excited about what we should be getting excited about as we take communion when he eats it again with us. There'll be a day where evil is defeated and the earth is restored and God wins. That's excited, really exciting. Communion gives us a chance to remember, as we should, to be present with him and to anticipate that future. That's me done. I told you it was short. <laughs> but I hope as we take communion that we, have those, we can hold those three things in our minds. I'm going to invite just the band up. Is that okay? Thank you. I'm going to lead us through the words in Corinthians that you've probably heard many, many times before. And we're going to pray. And um, we're going to take communion. So you might want to prepare yourself with your um, paper and <laughs> juice, <laughs> bread and wine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we come to you. We sit with you. Holy Spirit, you are here. We thank you. This is an opportunity to remember what you've done, to sit in your presence, and to look to the future promises that are only found in you. Thank you, Lord. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us on the cross. That excruciating pain. Still bowled over by that anxiety that I see that picture of you in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what it would take to go through that amount of pain for us. That cup of judgment that you knew that you had to drink cup of woe, that cup of fear almost Lord but you still took it, the judgment you drank for us, for our benefit so that we could be free Lord we thank you for your body broken for us on the cross, we do not take it lightly we don't deserve it but we still receive it, we thank you for your grace thank you Lord and in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. To Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink.
Lord, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant. Your blood that was poured out on that cross. Lord, thank you that by your blood we are washed clean. That we are new. Thank you that we are back in right relationship with our Heavenly Father because of your great sacrifice, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are here this morning. Remind us to pull up the chair and sit with you, to be in your presence. Remind us that we are restored, we are forgiven, that we are your children. We did not earn this. We're just adopted into your family. It's an incredible privilege. And Lord, as we sing our last song in a minute, Lord, we, we thank you for that future hope. The King of the Kingdom is returning. We don't necessarily know when, but we sit, we stand in anticipation of that. We, th- we thank you for that great banquet that we're getting called to. We thank you that one day you'll wipe away all tear, all pain. Jesus, continue to have your way in us as individuals, but as a collective, as a church family at this time, more than ever. Jesus, thank you. Amen.